one and all. This is Like Trees Walking. I am Michael J. Nelson, and with me is... The Reverend David Berge. We have a very, very special show. I, I used two varies on purpose there, because I think that's true. Don't you, Dave? I completely agree. This is a, a, a Like Trees Walking unlike any other we've ever done before. So I'm really excited. It truly is. We are uh, we are headed out into uh, uncharted waters, and uh, we hope this works out. I think it did. Yeah. Uh, a little uh, uh, a little confession. This specialty, this special thing has already happened, and so we know it's special, and so that's why we're excited. Through the magic of podcasting, yeah, we can we're not reorder things. into the future. We actually know the future. We're, we, we have it. We're bringing you the future, and it is exciting. So why don't you, first of all, you wanted to do an yes, appeal. Yes, I did want to do an appeal. So... Um, if uh, so, we're not going to interrupt the interview and do like our little promo. I'm just going to say that if you enjoy Like Trees Walking, um, please, please, please go to iTunes. Go to the iTunes Store, the iTunes Podcast Store. Rate us and review us. We are stuck at eight reviews, um, and so I would love for us to get over ten. We have thirteen five star reviews, which is great. Um, but if you enjoy this podcast and, and you can help us out, more people will discover it if you rate it and review it. So yes, it's a selfish request, but it's a way that you can help us. And, and I think this podcast, guess what? At episode 116, we have reached the point where I think people were worth, were worth sharing. We're okay. Worth. We're worth it. Gosh, darn it. So, uh, please do that. Okay. Thank you for that appeal. And I agree with everything you just said. So that's good. We're that's what you're on the show. Too. That's, what, that's, we, that's wonderful that you like this show we do. Together. I'm not a very good P.T. Barnum, you know, like, uh, you know, huck, hucksterism yeah. for my own cause. I'm very bad at that, but uh, I'm learning to get better. Thanks to you because yes. you're, you're a pro at it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a pastor. I got to be a great huckster. You know, they're one in the same. But right. uh, uh, so, Mike, why don't you tell the people what's happening today? Well, today is uh, a special interview. We have our first ever interview of a live guest. That's right. Uh, we told you previously about the new equipment and maybe that spurred us on. We I think we always wanted to have yeah. really smart, intelligent guests explain things that we couldn't. And uh, we have a very provocative one today. It is, of course, uh, the time of recording the silly season, as they call it. Mm -hmm. This is political time. And I think we can say without mentioning any names or anything, this is one for the books. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, 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 and uh, this is a podcast unlike any we've done before. For my experience, this is an election season unlike any other. And so um, there's lots of uh, fear and loathing and hand wringing going on. And and we want this podcast to be about the big issues. We know uh, sort of the perennial issues. You know the universals. We we realize that people live particular lives. So this is an interview that's germane to the silly season we're in, but is not sort of a political discussion on the sort of punditry that you hear sort of. Uh, ping pong uh you know figure skating judges you know type political commentary that we hear this is a big big philosophical topic of our whole political system which is really interesting to hear right right don't uh fear not uh that you're getting more of the same with this this is completely this is an evergreen interview this yes. has nothing to do with this particular season it's a a much broader and philosophical discussion that pastor Berge has with why don't you introduce your guest and we'll get started with the pre-taped interview in just a second yeah so i spoke with a, a beloved professor of mine from my days at uh, my beloved seminary alma mater princeton theological seminary his name is 
Uh, Gordon Graham, he is a professional philosopher. Uh, I'm just an, an amateur hack com- compared to Dr. Graham. But uh, yeah, he's the uh, Henry Luce III, uh, Hank Luce, as we call him. The, the, he was the big publishing magnate, by the way. Who right. get, who, yeah, so thank Claire you. Claire Booth Luce's husband, as yes. some people might. Yes, yeah, so, th- so thank you, Hank, for donating a lot of money to Princeton Theological Seminary so they could um, have a chair, a point, and a point to it. Uh, Dr. Graham, yeah, so he's the Henry Luce III Professor of Philosophy and the Arts at Princeton Theological Seminary, has been so since 2006. Uh, Dr. Graham is uh, just a very interesting thinker. He has a bit of the, I wouldn't say, it's not a contrarian spirit, but that's not the best way to, to identify it, but that's kind of like what I like to say. He, he He's not just going along with the conventional wisdom is perhaps the best way to say it, and so that's why I've always found him such a, an interesting interlocutor. Yeah, he's uh, he's challenging. It's not. It's you know, it makes sense, and it's uh, it's provocative only because it's an idea that you don't think about a lot. So I, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a, a very interesting guy, and he, being an Irishman, he's also got that thing where you just can't help but listen. To these <laughs> these are storytellers, and so he's got he's a fascinating personality as well as having fascinating ideas. Yes, so. absolutely. So I hope everyone enjoys this. Uh, enjoys it. Um, you know, give us your feedback if if you want us to do. More of these interviews are about once every 15 episodes, you can tell us. But uh, but this is a gift to you, our loyal listeners, during this season. And just a, a technical note, he's coming in through uh, a, a Skype-like channel, so a little bit different sound, but it, it sounds pretty good. But uh, you know, just to let you know, that's what's happening. We called him remotely. And this will run uh, just about half an hour, yep. and then we'll just say goodbye afterwards. So please enjoy uh, Gordon Graham and David Berge on uh, the philosophy of politics. Welcome to Like Trees Walking. This is David Berge, and we have the very distinguished privilege today of having our first living guest. We did have G.K. Chesterton from Beyond the Grave um, a couple months ago, but today I am speaking with a a professor of mine from my uh, days at Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, Professor Gordon Graham, who is the Henry Luce III Professor of Philosophy and the Arts. And Dr. Graham, thank you for being on uh, the program today. Pleasure. So, Dr. Graham, and you've been there. You were you were my professor, I think, and I think it was your first uh, your first semester at at Princeton Zem was two thousand six. Am I correct? That's right. Yes, uh, that's when I came, January two thousand six. Yes. Yeah, so you had just received that appointment, and uh, and I took, I believe, uh, I may have been two classes, but maybe only one. But I took uh, uh, introduction to a philosophy of religion with you, and it was a a wonderful class. And so um, I always enjoyed your uh, your 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 takes, um, and so and so uh, and so I've continued to read some of your works. And one of my favorite is a little book of political philosophy called "The Case of the Democratic State," which is uh, very apropos of uh, of our current situation. We are recording this on November fourth, and Tuesday will be November eighth, and that will be the election day, the day that everyone is a. Uh, 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 scared of, and so, but we're not going to talk about that, but talk about um, broader questions of democracy and political philosophy. So, um, Dr. Graham, on Sunday, you know, I'm a I'm a pastor, so I'm gonna my congregation they're they're anxious about this election, but the, you know they don't want me to be a partisan, but they they want me to encourage them in the democratic process. So I'll get up there on Sunday and I'll say, you know, pray for pray for our nation and our leaders, and then I'll say, and you know what. Um, Everyone on on Tuesday, if you haven't already, go out and vote. The wonderful thing about our system is that you know no one picks our leaders for us. We we get to pick them, and so go out there on Tuesday, uh, vote. This is your chance to have your voice heard, um, uh, to exercise your political power. And so I want to encourage everyone to go out and vote. 
So that's my statement. What say you to that? Uh, well, uh, you've given a wonderful summary of what we might think of as the ideology of democracy. And I say ideology meaning uh, the set of ideas that people invoke in order to both explain and to justify and to encourage certain sorts of behavior, in this case, going to vote in the presidential election. Well, uh, that's fine. Here's a question. Is it true? Because after all, if you're going to encourage people uh, to do things, um, it would better rest upon things that are true. And in that simple summary that you gave a moment ago, you made two important claims. Uh, we get to choose our leaders. Nobody does it for us. And secondly, this is your chance to have your voice heard and to exercise your power. Now, both of those things, just as a matter of fact, are false. Uh, nobody is getting to choose anybody. Of course, you get to cast a vote, but uh, neither individually nor collectively is anybody choosing a leader. So you may as well, just to make the point this way, suppose the system was one in which we tossed a coin. Well, of course, that's way, a way of deciding who's going to win the election. And sometimes in American systems that actually happens occasionally at uh, low-level uh, state and uh, county elections. It's actually decided on the toss of a coin. That's a good decision procedure. But, of course, nobody's misled into thinking that the coin is choosing the leader or the person tossing the coin is choosing the leader. And it's exactly the same thing. The voting is just a procedure. That's how we get a leader, but nobody's choosing it. But, uh, but isn't it a collective yeah. decision? Well, what's the collective? <laughs> um, the American people. <laughs> well, no, some American people will cast a vote one way, others will cast another way. Of course, technically, it's the Electoral College that decides, and strictly that electoral college and the members could uh, decide otherwise. They're not actually legally obliged. Most people don't know this. It's a curious quirk that in some states you can be punished for voting on the opposite direction to the, uh, the ordinary voters. You can be punished for it, but your vote still counts. So, no, I mean, uh, which is the collective... Suppose, uh, you know, 50% this way, 50% that way, or 51%, 49%. Who's the collective that chose? Uh, the, the, my, my answer is uh, the, it represents the, the majority will of the American people. It certainly reflects the majority votes, if the system works, because it's a complicated system. But, uh, but let's just suppose that's true. It represents the majority of votes. Now, there's the next. here's the next little bit of the ideology of democracy. Uh, the will of the American people. Why, why do you think that? Uh, I mean, because, uh, <laughs> th there is no single will. We can tell that from all the rallies and the shouting and the tweeting and the abuse and the hurling of insults. There's no will of the American people. There's just a decision procedure. It'll produce a leader, probably. Uh, the chances are high, but not because anybody chose them, but just because the system churns out a result, as tossing a coin would do.
Oh, so, um, so, so it's not an expression of of will. There is no will of the American people. That's sort of a, um, a, a, uh, it's, a it's not true, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's. It, I mean, the notion of a collective will is problematic at the best of times. But let's just say if there's if there are enough people in uh, huge numbers, and we have no idea why they voted, uh, in the way they voted then why would you think that there was any collective will in the matter? Because um, uh, it makes me feel better about the, the, <laughs> the result that this, it, that this see, means something. Yes. Uh, the, look, the, it's, it's just, if you just go back for a minute to the case, which, as I say, happens very occasionally, in which somebody is uh, elected to public office on the turn of a coin. Now, uh, that's a perfectly good decision procedure. That's to say it settles the question, who's going to be the mayor or whatever it might be? It settles it. And it settles it peacefully. That's a good thing. And it's not a result of war and violence. And so these are all very, very good things. But the democratic theorist wants to say more than that. They say, no, no, it's not just that this is a peaceful way. This is a way of actually expressing something semi-mystical, actually, the will of the American people. You know, there was a 19th century jurist in England, when democracy was sort of coming in, or uh, and the idea, and he said, "Look, nowadays we count heads instead of breaking them, and that's a good thing." Yeah, but that's a, that's all it is, head counting. And I think that this is maybe part of your case that uh, the the part about um, choosing versus just a decision procedure that is yeah. that is maybe most head scratching or counterintuitive because people go. Well, you say sort of you're you're not choosing a leader; you're just participating in a decision procedure, and people go, "Well, someone has to be choosing because there's right. it produces a result." Yeah, and so but is, this is a mistake. <laughs> this is a mistake. I mean, look, if you if you had uh, to, to produce a result, look, the Greeks used to um, sometimes use a system in which they put their hands into a bag and pulled out a, a colored uh, ball or object. And uh, this is completely blind, you know. They're not, but it still produces a result. But nobody was fooled into thinking that they were choosing anything. So why does the why does the uh, you know the the Democrat the uh, the ideologue the the partisan for mm-hmm. the democratic system why is it so important for them to have you know the ideologue why is it so important that an election be a have this sort of collective decision, this veneer of it being a collective decision. Why is that so important for the whole? Well, it's. Ideology? I, I think, I think it's particularly important in America, but of course, uh, the same ideology of democracy arose from the French Revolution as from the American Revolution, uh, and uh, it, it touches on a, a very old uh, story. So. In, in most times and places, people have thought that the authority of the law comes down from above, as it were. And many places they think it comes down from God. The law of God uh, is the source of authority. And the source of authority not just for you or me in our lives, but for societies and how they should be run. And of course, uh, Muslims who are uh, passionate about Sharia law still believe that. Now, uh, if authority doesn't come down from above, either from God or from an aristocratic class or from an hereditary monarchy and so on, 
Where does authority come from? And the uh, democratic uh, innovation was to think authority not only does come, but ought to come from the bottom up. It should be come not from the rulers, but from the ruled. So this idea of authority coming from the bottom up is very important because then you can say to people, and uh, why should you obey the law? Because you agreed to it. Well, actually, I didn't agree to it. Yes, but you took part in a system of election whereby those who made the law were people that you chose. And that's why this ideology is rather important. It's, it legitimates via citizens' rights, so to speak. But of course, if one wants to just tell the truth and tell it like it is, you're going to have to say, uh, well, at the time of the American Revolution, of course, let's forget the blacks, let's forget the women, let's forget pretty much most people, certainly Native Americans, mm -hmm. let's forget great chunks of people uh, who were obliged and indeed brutally obliged sometimes to uh, adhere and bow down before the state. No, we, so this is why the ideology is important. We can now tell ourselves a story, and it's a self-justificatory story. So, so, so it's it, yeah, it it justifies the our participation in and the perpetuation and legitimacy of our political system. Correct. That's which, right. Which That's we right. need. And, uh, wait, 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 that, you know, I, I don't mind about this too much. It's just that. My big issue with the ideal of democracy, with the ideology of democracy, is that it has led to things like the Iraq War, uh, where uh, co countries, the, the UK, the US, uh, go about saying, we are bringing you something very special, democracy. And what results, as we know, is tremendous human suffering and loss. And if I'm right... Uh, that actually this is a completely deluded ideal, then that punctures completely the moral righteousness, uh, moral self-righteousness, you might say, of the people who launched those actions. Right, that, that this notion that bringing democracy in and of itself, the system is inherently good and requires no justification in, its, in its bringing, right? Correct, correct. So like we're bringing you democracy equals we're yeah. bringing you a good, just um, uh, you know, moral, social order. That's right, that's right. And, and it's, it's, of course, represented like we're bringing you um, the successful treatment for AIDS, let's say. Mm -hmm. That could be just true, you know. <laughs> we're bringing you a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so it spills over then into this uh, political realm. We're bringing you a good thing. And you just have to look at it. the Arab Spring and any case you want to take, actually. And you'll see uh, that the self-righteousness of the political crusader on behalf of democracy is almost invariably bad. So, uh, all right, so you, 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 you broke down at least the first part of my statement, which was that this was a, a per, a expression of will, right? Mm -hmm. What was the other thing I said? Well, you said that people were exercising a power. Of course, the two things are connected. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Uh, to, to talk philosophy for a moment, if you exercise, a, if you're genuinely possessed of a power, then it must be the case if you don't exercise that power, it doesn't happen. So if I have the power, just to take a simple case, to switch on the lights, then uh, if I exercise that power and the lights don't come on, I am in fact powerless. Now, so uh, when people cast their vote, uh, then it's not going to make a difference. 
It doesn't, it's not, so on Tuesday, uh, if you cast your vote, it doesn't matter which way you cast it, it's not going to, the election is not going to turn on that. And what's true of you is true of everybody. For any individual, it's not going to matter. And uh, even in the case of, you know, people, when I make this point, people often say, ah, but what about a casting vote? But of course we have um, uh, secret ballots, so nobody knows what the, how things stand when you cast your vote. So you go in there, and I can tell you right now, it's not going to make any difference. How could it? I mean, we're not going to have one president rather than another because you, David Berge, voted this way or that. But what's true of you is true of everybody. And this is rather intriguing. So that there's and the, and the response that if I I think if I raise this that mm-hmm. someone would say to me is well but what if everyone thought that way and then uh, no one would vote and you know so yeah. it must have uh, power. Well, first of all, uh, everybody won't think that way. Uh, but let's remember we get a decision on Tuesday with if we're lucky, fifty percent of eligible voters voting. Uh, it's been falling. So my guess, just a guess, is that it's probably going to be below that, partly because some people are are nauseated by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, so it's you could get a result if more than fifty percent. Actually, it could be an awful lot more than fifty percent. Don't bother. So don't worry, I would say to these people, there'll be a result. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if your problem is, but if nobody votes, we won't get it. Well, actually, I'm not even sure that's true. There's probably some constitutional provision. But anyway, uh, look, don't worry about it. Uh, it's gonna, there's going to be a result because it doesn't matter how few vote. It'll still produce a result. Look, uh, uh, people, don't, people don't welcome these comments. I... I, I I'm stating the utterly obvious. That's, that's the, the strength of the argument. No. It's just that people don't want to accept the utterly obvious. And it's interesting to me, why don't they want to? I, I, I think it's because... It? Well, it's because they think this is a very important matter, so they, uh, they want to make it... Uh, uh, they want somehow to make their participation in it uh, reflect what they regard as its importance. Uh, yeah, this is it's a, it's a big event, but I mean, uh, in terms of having an influence or exercising a power, but but may I say one other thing? Yes, that, yes. Uh, of course, let's 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 just say I'm wrong, right? Uh, and that people really do exercise a power on election day. Why would you want to support that? Because we know that there will be ignorant and and racist and prejudiced people. Why, why? So, oh, good news. The racists get some powers. No, it's not good news to me. <laughs> Actually, my good news is, never mind, the racists, along with the rest of us, right. don't have any power, so it's not so troubling. But, but you get my point. If it really is an instrument that accomplishes things, why would you uh, rejoice in the fact that people who are ignorant and uh, prejudiced Get handed up power. Um, I, I am uh, I'm speechless to answer that one. But uh, this is so. This is you bringing up this point about basically you your your vote doesn't matter in the sense of being an exercise of power. Uh, Correct. I, I posted something like this on on Facebook uh, mm-hmm. four years ago in the 2012 election. I said I think I, it was a 
you know, a snarky sort of contrarian mm -hmm. um, Facebook status as I am wont to do. And I said, well, you know, remember, uh, if, if you vote today, your vote is uh, statistically meaningless. So, you know, yes. and making this point in other in other terms. Mm -hmm. And, and my, my own aunt responded, well, so is your life. So, so um, you know, in the statistically meaningless sense. Well, no, that is, I don't think that's true. Is it true? No, it's not true because our lives uh, matter to other people, not to everybody. So, yes, you are a statistic, but your life is not a statistic. Your life's a story, uh, and your that story matters to your family, matters to you, matters to more than your family, matters to all, your, in your case, your church, your, uh, your, your parishioners, and so on. So I, I, I think the fact that you are statistically insignificant uh, in some grand collective doesn't show that you are insignificant at all, actually. Oh, well, that, thank you. That makes that makes so me, that, that, that should make you feel that better. makes me feel better. So, <laughs> so Dr. Graham. So, I mean, I am. Uh, 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 I think that you, all of your critiques are are well put and valid. And and I think what's most interesting is that sort of there's often not even a sense that democracy itself as an ideology has to be defended mm -hmm. or or can even be critiqued. That's sort of something for. Um, you know, fringe cranks to do. That's right. That's right. And yes. so, but you know, the response is always going to be, well, who was it? At Churchill said like, yeah. democracy is the worst system that there is besides all the other ones. So yeah. do you agree with, do you agree with Churchill or, or do you, what's, what's the alternative? What's your, 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 right now on this podcast, you're the philosopher yeah. king. So well, um, <laughs> uh, let me just say, when people say, what is the alternative? What is the alternative to what? Uh, because they say, well, under the present system, well, what is the present system? That is my question. The present system is a decision procedure. Is that decision procedure any good? Well, it produces a precedent. By and large, it keeps violence at bay, not absolutely. By and large, people accept it, and it's incorporated into a constitutional provision that can be both uh, for affirmed and questioned. So the present system is a legal system uh, within a constitutional framework. So if that's what we mean by the present system, I don't particularly think we want or need an alternative to it. Uh, if you say to me, yeah, but you're telling people uh, not to vote. No, I'm, I'm, if you want to play your part in that, but it, it, that's fine. And, and um, it just so happens that I don't have a vote because I'm um, a green card holder and not a citizen here. But uh, but if I had, I might exercise my democratic right not to bother. You know. So uh, it's it's we have a system. It works. Uh, and what's behind it is the rule of law. And that's what's missing in most places. So when. When you look at systems of tyranny and brutality, and there are many of them, then what's going wrong is not that they're not democratic, but they, they do not have a settled, known law that is genuinely adhered to and enforced. And if you look at you know, the, the great tyrants, the first thing they do is undermine an independent judiciary. So, but let me just add, here's the, the further downside to democracy. A complete tyrant like Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe can actually get votes. So you can whip up enthusiasms, you can manipulate and so on. But his problem, the problem with Mugabe is not that he didn't win elections. He did. 
but he's still a tyrant. Right, and there's no, there's no part of the government of Zimbabwe that's checking his uh, power. That's correct. That's a serious check and restriction. Yeah. So, so you're not, uh, you're not critiquing our current system as such. I mean, you you appreciate that it, uh, uh, that it keeps the peace and that there's a rule of law mm-hmm. and that, and it produces a a genuinely stable and prosperous and and reasonably free society, which these are all good things that we enjoy inhabiting. It's just that the there's sort of a false ideology behind it, and and if that ideology is unmasked or it's not defended, then perhaps it's uh, it's not as stable, um, and so people should appreciate the the democratic system um, for what it really is. And I think that if I were to sort of you tell me if this is an accurate summation of something that you say that we we typically talk about voting, if it's a, it's it's an expression of um, power or will or action, it's doing something. And it's categorically different than other ways of participating in, in our political life, like writing letters to the editor and attending demonstrations, which we see as expressive and attempt to influence through practices. And voting is, you would say that voting is, is just another such expressive action that we do in a democracy. We, we don't do it because we're exercising power, but because it's an important part of participating in a civil society. Yeah, that, that will, be, will, will be one rationale. Let me just say, though, something about uh, our system. I mean, it's a fact about the American political system that it is highly prone to paralysis. So it requires uh, a consensus uh, and a bipartisanship to work. Now, what we have seen over the last few years is when bipartisanship uh, collapses, it doesn't work. And one of the drawbacks of the, one of the, the real downsides of the ideology of democracy and this idea of the will of the people is that somehow people think that the democratic result is a kind of knockout one side or the other. But the truth is that, uh, and you know, when, when uh, Trump uh, says, um, I'm going to make America great again. And he speaks as though he was going to run a country like you run a business. And the, our system just isn't like that. So I think that some, some, uh, th- there is a way in which the defects and faults and difficulties about the constitutional arrangements that we live under uh, are masked and disguised by the ideological um, ideals of democracy. So, it's, so the system is, is vulnerable in that respect. And, you know, just to point to some of the uh, big issues, um, mass incarceration, uh, increasing homelessness. Uh, and uh, have you heard these mentioned in the presidential debates? A, a, no. A very little bit about mass incarceration. You know, I mean, a very little bit. Just the odd mention. Yes. And uh, hardly anything about the justice system, you know, courts. Uh, these are real, or, or for that matter, a little, little bit about the crumbling infrastructure in many of America's cities. So these are real issues that are not getting touched because the emphasis is all on uh, winning or losing the popular vote, the popular support. Wow. Well, uh, it's I, I, I'm so glad uh, to have you on, Dr. Graham. Yes, to uh, to um, 
yes, to to not throw a cold bucket of cold water, but uh, but uh, you you um, uh, you keep it real, as the kids like to say, and uh, and I think that's a very interesting. Um, it's very interesting and very important for us to do. I mean, as we head towards our decision procedure on November eighth, which. Mm-hmm. is basically this apocalyptic moment in many people's mind. I mean, this is the be-all, end-all of what it means to be the United States of America is we elect a president every four years. Yeah. And yeah. that's when people show up to the polls. You know, that's the election that people care the most about, the the office that people vote for that they care the most about. But we genuinely tend not to think about what we're doing um, mm-hmm. and what the system means and what, what voting actually is. And so um, I do think that in, in our own system with its, you know, divided government um, and people are very frustrated with the gridlock because the, the, the rhetoric that surrounds the system of make a decision, you know, elect a leader and their policies will be enacted. But we, we actually have, you know, three branches of government with mm-hmm. their own democratic legitimacy. Yep. And when yep. they're opposed, they're all equal, they're co-equal. So which one is more legitimate than the other, you know? And I think that people... People are frustrated because they're the reality of the system, which is actually designed to produce gridlock, um, and and the ideology don't match up. And I don't think that, I don't think this is is quite true. That it's designed to produce gridlock. That's it's designed to prevent excessive power. Right. Uh, but the prevention of excess uh, has uh, was one of the reasons why the fundamentals of the American Constitution are in fact anti-democratic. Uh, but the ideology of democracy having swept in, we now have a conflict, a deep conflict, because the, the, the whole idea of checks and balances was that popular power would be checked. Right, because democracy, uh, democracy was a controversial idea when it that's when right. it rose, and, and there was, so it's yeah. there to check it. When the idea, when the when the ideology sweeps in, it messes things up. But let me just uh, say one thing on a, on a on a biblical note. You know, I do think uh, when the scriptures say. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's all, all, all I'm saying. Really, is the truth could set us free from a lot of illusions, mistakes, and uh, and, and misconceptions. But people don't want to be set free by the truth very often. Right. It's, they it... prefer to remain with uh, the delusions that they have. As as Jack Nicholson said in A Few Good Men. You want the truth, you can't handle the truth. That's right. That's <laughs> and, right yes. and so you're uh, you're the Jack Nicholson of uh, <laughs> of this podcast for sure. Well, uh, Doctor Grubb, I'm going to let you go in just a second, but yeah. I would be remiss since you are our first living guest and the only uh, person we've uh, that, that we've talked to who is a citizen of the United Kingdom. Is that correct? Yes. So I, I'll give you two minutes to explain Brexit to me. <laughs> uh, well. Uh... Brexit, I think, was a monumental error on the part of the previous prime minister. Uh, There is no real tradition of referendums at all in Britain. And the idea that this colossal decision should turn on a very small majority. He, of course, uh, only uh, initiated because he was absolutely sure it would be lost. Um, so he was sure that everybody would, and that would settle the matter completely. But I think what we saw for Brexit, there are, of course, some enthusiastic people who want to leave the European Union. They didn't, I think, much understand what that involved and certainly had no plan. But I think there was a real protest vote, as there perhaps, perhaps is in this country, because the political classes can actually become completely absorbed. 
uh, self-absorbed. And so I think what you're getting is a protest vote. But I will say this, I think part of the protest vote in Brexit was colored by the Scottish referendum because this division between Scotland and England within the Union has been very, very divisive. And so I think a very large proportion of people in England thought the Scots had their referendum, we want ours. Uh, and are you Scottish, uh, Dr. Graham? No, I'm Irish. Oh, you're Irish. Well, uh, so uh, uh, and they, so that's that's why I think you got this. I, some of it was a way of saying the Scots got a chance to tell you what they think of you. We want a chance to tell you what we think of you. And the issue, the actual issue itself, most it's far too complicated for most people to understand right. it anyway. Yeah. What it? Yeah. So, uh, so it 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 meant something else. Then. It meant something else completely. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. thanks to the foolishness of the previous prime minister, this um, deep, quite deep cultural descent got steered into a disastrous uh, political decision. And uh, and and you know now everyone's looking at at that breakfast decision and the American election and sort of the hand wringing is that you know. Um, for those who fear our Trump presidency, mm-hmm. that we're, you know, the polls were wrong and the elites were wrong. And, yes. um, you know, this it's sort of going to be our turn um, for this this protest of what's seen as yes. kind of the common people or the, yeah. Who, yeah. the common think, people think, of the old yeah. order against the but know, I think current it's, it, order. It, it, it's not just Trump. I think the, 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 that protest vote was evident in the, the remarkable support for Bernie Sanders. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That there's a protest vote on the yeah. on the right and on yeah. the left as well, sort of a, a, a populist um, on the left and right. Absolutely. Well, yeah. This was very fascinating, Dr. Graham. Thank you so much. Pleasure. A pleasure. Absolutely. So uh, we have been speaking to Gordon Graham, the Henry Luce III Professor of Philosophy and the Arts at Princeton Theological Seminary. On Like Trees Walking, Dr. Graham, you have a great day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. So there you have it. That is Gordon Graham and his thoughts. Uh, anything to add to that, David? No, I'm. Uh, uh, I, I'm just. I always enjoy talking to him. Um, if you are really interested in kind of that was just a, a snippet of his ideas. If you want to hear him more fleshed out, um, just go to Amazon.com, and he wrote a book. The book I was referencing is "The Case Against the Democratic State." It's maybe ninety pages long. Um, it's eminently readable. Not full of philosophical jargon or like footnotes or anything like that. It's it's a it's very readable. Um, very understandable for um, for sort of your average educated person. So if you're interested in more of these ideas, buy that book, read it, and um, and it'll all make sense to you. So kind of as a holistic picture of what he's saying. So that's just my encouragement. Case Against a Democratic State on Amazon. Buy it if you want to learn more. Wonderful. And we'll be back again soon with a um, a more normal show, I guess. Not that that was abnormal. It was just outside the bounds of Like Trees Abby Walking. Normal. And hopefully, hopefully in a good way. So uh, we'll see you next time at Like Trees Walking. And vote or don't vote. Yeah, right. <laughs>